Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with our humble wrestling coach, my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Hey, Irish. I've never been accused of being humble, but... Well, I was kind of wondering the other day when you returned from vacation... And uh, you made an announcement at Mass that uh, you selected a new hairstyle, and uh, you selected it based on the fact that it might make you appear to be more intelligent. And and for those listeners, since this is audio, Father Len's new hairstyle is a shaved head. And apparently he read some kind of a study that said that bald or shaved-headed men are thought to be more intelligent. I think I remember that's what you said. Okay, poor Irish. Let me explain. I make up some facts. <laughs> there is no study. I just said that to make. I don't oh, know. okay. So. Well, I, I mean, maybe that's going to go against what we're going to talk about today because it true. didn't necessarily appear that it was all about being humble, but <laughs> it, it was more like being a little bit vain. But anyway, I, I didn't mean to out you on that, Father Lynn. Sorry, right, I was okay. just having some fun with you. I know. I usually have long, flowing hair. So. <laughs> I've never seen that style on you, Father Lynn. It's like uh, a lion's mane. Yeah, I've seen short hair, but uh, now the new, uh, the new shaved look, I, I actually think it looks pretty good on you. So, Anyway, so speaking of humble... We, we decided to talk about humility today for a couple of reasons, a lot of reasons, but it's been said that humility is the foundation of our spiritual life, and it's also been described as a superpower for success in life, and so we thought we should talk about this today. I actually think, if you talk about humility, most people are going to think, what's so great about humility? But to me, not only are we in the midst of a, a epidemic with COVID? But I've often thought this for the last couple of years. We're also in this narcissistic epidemic. We're living in the modern Great Gatsby with excessive wealth that's really just mortgaged and guilted, the constant need for entertainment, and the need to compete to see who gets the most amount of attention. The great example of that is social media, Father Len. Oh, that I is mean, so true. It's the most narcissistic, I guess, arena in the world, you know, where everybody's out there trying to be liked and, you know, get followers and all that kind of stuff. It's I actually amazing. was going to have our kids at St. Ignatius. I was thinking about making our 7th and 8th graders read The Great Gatsby. I still might. Because it's just such a great commentary on really narcissism, a narcissistic society. Yep. So and the cure is humility. So humility is a superpower, but sadly, few people can see what's so great about humility. And years ago, I actually was the priest in Beverly Hills for a short time. Oh, my uh, there's gosh. A great Irish priest who was leaving, and he just needed somebody to cover him. So I was working in this poor parish, and then because we knew this nun, Irish nun that was just a great gal, she was friends with him and he called me and was like, well, I got a lot of extra vacation. I can cover you. So I was living in Beverly Hills for a short time. And here's the odd part. I love those parishioners. And this sounds strange. They were great people and really normal. Like I, that's odd part is like 
wow, these people are a lot like people from Idaho. They're just billionaires. <laughs> but really great people. Like even in the parish, they would hand out sandwiches to homeless people. And I thought, wow, millionaires are making sandwiches for these homeless people and handing them out. So did you have a lot of movie stars and celebrities in the parish? Well, there were two. But oh. what was really interesting is that just all these lawyers and different people, but I met this guy who's a talent scout and he was either the president or the vice president. I wasn't really quite sure what he was, but he was started this talent scout agency that in Hollywood has done, I guess, very, very well. And he was talking to me and I said, well, I mean, that's such the world I'm not used to. So I was asking, him, I said, well, what, what are all these movie stars like? And he said, to be honest, they're highly insecure, constantly <laughs> need their ego stroked. And I said, like what? And he said, well, like if they're at a party or something, he's talking to one star and then he goes over to talk to another star. Oftentimes they'll say, well, why'd you talk to her first? And <laughs> oh, no. He has to be, you know, he has to say, well, you know, she needs the attention. You don't. And he said, you know, really there's... you." It's a lot of work stroking their ego, which I just thought was really interesting. And in all honesty, after talking to him, I was thinking, wow, how sad. These people live in this prison of the ego. And I really didn't think of the prison because all they do is, not all of them, but the ones he was talking about, think about themselves all day long. And it literally reminded me of my stint as a prison chaplain, where when we're getting trained as working in a prison they warned you, you know, these guys sit behind bars all day long and they are just thinking and thinking, how can I get this? How can I get this? So he's, they warned you, some people are going to come in, say they want to talk to the chaplain, but they're seeing how they can work you. And, you know, they did. Like one person wanted me to uh, mail a letter. And I said, you know, I try to act innocent. And I was like, oh, oh, well, no problem. I can give this to the guard. And you get that, well, I, I can take care of that um <laughs> you know like, but the guy was right that some of these people not all of them there's some great prisoners but they're trapped behind bars and all day long the one thing they are thinking about is how can i game this system how can i make my and you just come in for you know one hour and don't realize they have a, a strategy they've been thinking about themselves all day long and i kind of thought in some ways these stars that this guy spoke about they're living in the same prison of self-obsession. And the odd part is that he was saying they're so insecure. And so there's two freedoms that humility gives us, and that is community and learning. That's what, it's a superpower. So like an example I want to use is from the Miami Heat, but little background, you have to understand two terms. One is the term emotional contagion that, Social scientists have found out human beings are very communal animals and emotions run through a community faster than a virus does. So if you're happy, it ripples out and everybody else comes out. If you're angry, believe it or not, it ripples out to the community that you live in. You so see that everywhere. I mean, yeah. like if I wake up in a bad mood, it doesn't always put my wife in the best mood. You know? Exactly. I mean, so when, when I'm being a jerk to my staff, I tell them this is because Irish has woken up in a bad mood. <laughs> well, thank you, Father Lynn. That's perfect. That emotion. <laughs> but we're highly emotionally contagious people. 
The other term is called a more moral elevator. And a moral elevator is just this discovery that when people see other people behaving morally, they're more likely to behave more moral and vice versa. So a moral elevation is when you see somebody working harder later with more joy, you give it a shot and work harder. They keep their lawns nicer. You keep your lawns nicer. And so we kind of feed each other. So, you, you know, it affects everything else. And I want to use this example of humility and the Miami Heat. It's kind of a famous example. That do you This remember- is the basketball team, the NBA basketball right. team. Okay. Do you remember a couple of years ago, Miami announced the, that they had the three kings, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh? Do you remember yep. that huge? Totally. They all decided they were going to get together uh, and win. A, they wanted to win a championship, and they're buddies, and they think they're better than everybody else. And Do you so- remember huge fireworks and yep. fanfare? And LeBron James, God bless him, said, quote, unquote, winning will be so easy. And yet they struggled. What happened to this winning is supposed to be so easy. They have the three kings. But they had three players who are used to always making the winning shot. And so they are the stars. But what they found out is in team sports, stars are overrated. Role players may be doing something the team needs but is unaware of, unaware that they need it. And so they bring in Shane Battier. He's known as Batman, who's not a star. But when Shane was on the team, they're winning. But he's not a star. What Batman added was humility and encouragement. They did this whole study. Batman didn't make them better players. He made them a better team. And so the moral elevation is humility turns out to be both an emotional contagion and a moral elevator. So with a little bit of humility, it brought them together as a community. And Butler University is the second great example of that, where they spend very little on recruiting for basketball. And yet they have this shocking habit of doing great in college basketball. Uh, During the NCAA tournament, they're beating teams with bigger stars and huge budgets. And it all started with this coach. He would only take talented players who are humble because he said humble players, they can work together. And he emphasized what he called a culture of humility, and they called it the Butler way of putting the team over the individual. And they did this interview I thought was fascinating where they're interviewing him, and they said, now, come on, if you had a high school player who was a LeBron James and he wanted to play for Butler, you wouldn't take him even though he's the absolute best, but he comes with a huge ego. And the coach was saying, absolutely not. He'll break the unity of the team. If he can't hold his ego into check, he'll ruin our winning chances. So it's just another story of the power of a moral elevator like humility. With humility, it can have community. It reminds me, Father Land, of a quote that I just love, and it really fits these three guys with the Miami Heat, you know, who are always, who had been the superstars of their team, and they get credit for winning, and that's the reason their teams win and whatever. And it's a quote that Ronald Reagan had on his desk, and it's this, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. 
Oh, that's a great quote. Now that's humility. Yeah. And 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 I yeah, I think that's what you're saying with the Miami Heat. These guys who've been these superstars on individual teams, they all come together and it's hard for them to really be a team because they're so used to taking, getting, being, you know, getting the credit for winning and they bring in a guy who's humble to kind of create a team spirit and some humility in the team and and all of a sudden things change. They become a team and they start winning where they thought it would be so easy because they had these three superstars. And that's not a philosophical statement. That's a scientific statement in that social scientists have found out ego destroys community. That you do end up in this prison of self-obsession. You can't be a winning team if there's that much ego. Humility is a superpower. But unfortunately, people think humility is a weakness. Humility is not a weakness. Humility is not low self-esteem. It's low self-preoccupation. Ego is the enemy. Humility allows room for other people. The more we're less preoccupied with thinking about ourselves, the more room we have in our head and hearts to think of others. The more humble we are, the less preoccupied with ourselves, the more that we can emotionally connect with other people. And even recently, there's this business management book I read. I always read a business management book because half my job being a pastor is, I'm sorry, a manager of the parish. Well, I like that about you because it, it, it causes you to think about the real world and real people. And it's not just always theology. It's what happens in the real world and how you can marry the two. And that's cool. The, the parish is a business. Yeah. You know, you have to keep it afloat. So I always read a couple of business management books, but one is uh, this one called the new smart is what I think it was called, but it was kind of interesting and it's a business management book, but it mentions that hubris, hubris is pride. Pride causes far more problems than it does solutions. That humility allows you to connect with others emotionally and truly listen to others and be aware of facts that may challenge your current business model. And the, a great business is not defined by how smart the employees are, but how well the employees can collaborate together. So even if you have the smartest employees without humility to work with other people, the business is doomed. The gateway to an open mind partially is because it allows you to process information without always reacting fearfully or defensively. So related to that is managing yourself which means taming your own emotions and thinking critically, you know, reflective listening, listening to learn and understand rather than just give this constant defensive answer. And I just think it's funny that they called it the new smart. They found that most business leaders do not like the word humility. And isn't that, isn't that just great irony? So it they, is. Yeah, I think a lot of them associate humility with meekness, and I don't think meekness is, is a problem they, either. But I think they think of it in terms of weakness. Yeah. Now, who would have thought the United States leaders don't like the word humility, so they change it to something that would stroke their egos? I'm, but the finding seems to be there, whether it's basketball or business. Humility actually allows for a community, a company, a team – to actually function together. When, when you think about it, if you walk into a room of people and 
you think you are the smartest person in the room and or you think you have to be the smartest person in the room because you're, quote, the manager, the leader, whatever, there's no way you can hear any input from anybody or take any criticism because then you're not the smartest person in the room. You're not right. open to you're not open to ideas. You're not open to criticism. You're not open to getting better. You're just o- open to being the big guy. And and you know I got to have all the answers. That's why another word for humility you could just say is reality. That with humility you accept reality. It's seeing yourself and the world truly as they are, with all its faults, sins, and beauty. Humility is seeing the fake for being fake. But really, most people don't want to see reality. Humility is seeing the reality of truth and people and even your business and what's going on. And we'd say humility even makes us more human. I mean, literally, the word humility comes from humus, which means earth. So the humble, they can be their true selves, true human beings. And this is a, like I mentioned, kind of some sociological evidence to back that up. But believe it or not, that's the Bible. There's all these stories in the Bible that humility makes you a true human being. And one of my favorites is from the book of Daniel, where Spink speaks about the king Nebuchadnezzar. He's in Babylon, right? And he has built this great city, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And because of his arrogance, God punishes him. He's not, he's not part of the chosen people, but still God, God guides them. And there's this great story where he looks and he says, look at everything I have done. Well, the joke is, no, no, God has, has worked with you. So he actually gets punished for his arrogance and he becomes a beast. If he's going to be prideful, then he's not a true human being. And he gets some sort of like mental illness and he becomes kind of like the, this animal figure. His hair grows long. His nail grows long. He's in the palace gardens living like this wild animal just clearly lost his mind and the idea is when you lose humility you've lost your humanity now god returns it to him and he gains his humanity and he ends up actually thanking god for that experience that wow i was arrogant and so it's just a story about the danger of living without humility which i think the modern world needs without humility success will destroy you as it did him and even like the ancient Romans, when Caesar was riding around, they'd have a slave behind him saying, memento mori, you know, remember death. Remember, you are only a man. A sword that cuts through the general cuts through the private as well. Interesting. So, like, it was this attempt to keep Caesar humble. Or even they've discovered on top Wall Street investors, the more accolades they get, their performance went down. Isn't that amazing? The study that those who take a step up on the ladder of success need to work harder at humility because with more power, they get more yes men around them. And then they start to kind of lose their view of reality, that it's really all about them. And you get this constant theme that, wow, without humility, success will ruin you. It so often, but in the Bible, you get that story, but also the contrast that with humility, the humble always win. Abraham, Father Abraham in the Bible, the Talmud says the more he got, the more humble he became as kind of a check or the nation of Israel. God says, I chose you because you were the smallest of nations. You know, you didn't even have any land. So you're the most humble. 
and so God is going to bless them so that they can take care of the humble of the of the earth. So the humble win. And when Israel loses its humility, God withdraws and the nation is destroyed. So this study on leaders that I thought this was amazing. The more humble coming from humble origins, the leaders are the more chance of success. Those who don't come from humble origins always have this need to be right and be surrounded by images. So humility inspires success. So humility is logical because it leads to success, not the image of success. And the ultimate success, I think, is heaven. And if you notice in the Bible, it says all those in heaven have humility written across their forehead. So it's this idea that, wow, ultimate victory belongs to the humble. You know, I think when you're around a humble person, too, it inspires confidence and trust. When somebody is humble, I think it it makes you want to trust them and and be confident in what they're saying and who they are and that they may care about what you think and care about what others think. It's not just all about them. It was interesting you said, and I don't remember exactly how you said this, but people that get a lot of accolades, it ends up stunting their growth. Or how did how did you say that? Well, it was a study on leaders. A, those who come from humble origins are less likely to always need to surround themselves by images of success. And those who grew up with a lot of images of success, they surround themselves with more fake. And they found out for every step up on the corporate ladder, um, you need more humility or you're going to surround yourself with all these yes guys who are not going to bring reality to you. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, it makes total sense. And think about it. God is the opposite of pride. God is humility. So the Proverbs say about God, God hates pride and arrogance. Or James says, God opposes the proud. But that, what I like about God opposes the proud is that the Greek word for oppose is written in the present in constant sense. So it should say, God is always opposing the proud right now. You know, the proud want glory for me, not for the community, for the business, for the team, uh, for God. Or even like Jesus warns the 12, you know, what were you discussing along the way? Jesus had just told them about, you know, to serve, being a servant and caring for other people, that I'm going to suffer and die and you care for other people. They leave that and they start talking about, well, who's the greatest? What we need for greatness is not power and glory. What we need is humility. And sometimes what we really need is the cross. So, um, you know, the cross means dying to yourself, dying to your ego. But the 12 keep thinking that religion is supposed to give you glory and power. No, it's the opposite. Religion gives you a cross. So I'd say the first thing, the great power of why it's a superpower, humility, is that in this age of narcissism, it gives us freedom and community. Now, the second thing is something that we've already kind of talked about, is that humility allows you to learn. Humility is logical because there's so much I don't know that far exceeds what I do know. And the humble can admit they may be interpreting things or truth in a shallow way. The humble can know 
that they can have all the facts and still might not see the whole picture. So you find this playing out in the Bible, like the Pharisees, they know all the facts. They can quote every prophecy about Christ. And the joke is they misunderstood all of them or the priests, the priests. Yeah. You think they're devoted to God, but then when God shows up, they put God on trial, Christ, they put God on trial for not being holy enough. So it's the humble who are able to learn new ways and new insights by God rather than think just because I have all the memorized answers doesn't mean you know anything. So there's this connection between humility and learning. Just as the, um, I kind of think we're living in the age of the great Gatsby. I also think with humility, the pandemic, you know, COVID has shown us this great need for humility. And what I mean by that is that we used to think we lived in a stable world. I certainly did. You know, one thing 2020 has taught us is that the world is not stable. I used to think intelligence was the ability to think and learn. Now I believe we live in a very turbulent world. Now intelligence is not just being able to think and learn, but also unlearn and rethink. And that requires humility. Sometimes having the ability to learn and to think creates this arrogance that all my facts are right. And being smart and learning wisdom equally requires unlearning and questioning what I've already learned. And sometimes we become so smart that we outsmart ourselves. Humility allows you to wrestle with your own intelligence. And so like we're the wrestling with God show. Yeah, humility to wrestle. 2020 has shown us that we had to think, rethink many things, just even from getting toilet paper and gathering <laughs> together. Yep. So with humility, I can reexamine all my assumptions that how we used to work. And otherwise, we might become, have this stubbornness to refuse to change with the facts of reality and keep doing the very thing that has been endangering us. And I say this because I have to admit, that's one of my weaknesses. One of my virtues is stubbornness. That cuts both ways. Yeah, and sometimes it's a deficit, especially when you need humility. And there's this great psychologist, Daniel Kahneman. Okay. He won a Nobel Prize for, uh, for psychology and economics, but he's kind of funny because he was not optimistic on people's ability to challenge their own conclusions. And he's a Nobel Prize winner, and he basically says, yeah, because people lack humility. They will all, you know, the more education you get, you think you have all the facts. Yep. And there's a psychologist who defined hostility, and this is a great definition, that hostility as the emotional reaction when you find out that your beliefs are wrong and you've always suspected that they were wrong, but you don't want to admit it. But without humility, you can begin to think that everything you say is the gospel. And the more I get reinforced for telling people I have the answers, the more I can believe that all my opinions are right. That's kind of the danger of priesthood, especially with somebody like me who tends to be a little stubborn. It takes humility to know that I don't have all the answers. More importantly, I may have to unlearn some of my opinions. And even St. Bernard of Clairvaux, and I like this, his definition of prayer was prayer is 
unlearning. Isn't that amazing? He said, prayer is unlearning what the world has taught you. And he says, it's one of the steps of humility. We should take as much joy in learning that we're wrong as we took joy in learning a truth. Because a lot of life is unlearning. You thought you had the answer, but you didn't quite have the full answer. And because I'm so stubborn, which I, as I said, I think stubbornness is a virtue sometimes. I know this is strange. I like to think, I don't know if this is true, but I just made this up. I like to think whatever, <laughs> whatever I think is 20% wrong. Like I like that voice in the back of my head, the same way the slave would stand behind Caesar saying, you're just a human being. <laughs> you know, now, I, that's I, a, I like that. that uh, what, now repeat that only 20% of what you think is right. Is that how you, is that what you said? Yeah. I just, I, in this voice in my head, 20% of everything I think is right may be wrong. Wow. Now that is humility. Can, do you, do you, can you actually live that way? Are you able to do that every day? Well, I don't know about that, but I definitely have that voice playing in my head like the yeah. lay by. Because I told you the story about when I was newly ordained, I, I had some hard beliefs, right? Anyhow, years later, surprisingly, I found out I was wrong. And I was talking to a friend and he mentioned something. He says, oh, I don't believe that. I said that. And he says, what do you mean you don't believe that? I believe that because you are so emphatic about yep. this is true. And I said, I was 28 years old. What 28-year-old isn't emphatic? You know, I'm emphatic about everything. And that's when, like, actually it was years ago I said that, but I realized, wow, you know, I feel sorry for my own parishioners. Not that I'm bad or evil, but, yeah, I hope they question 20% of everything I say may not be right. That's, that's humility. Nobody gets 100%. When I was a young manager, I had the the great fortune to meet Stephen Covey, who oh, wrote yeah. the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he was actually in my living room doing a little seminar for all the managers uh, in my company. And this one simple little thought that he put in my mind really... It, it it plays in the back of my head all the time, and that is first seek to understand, then seek to be understood. No matter what somebody is coming at you with, if it's a new idea, a criticism, or whatever, it, rather than getting defensive, rather than trying to sell them on your point of view, spend the time to understand what they're saying, why they're saying it, where it's coming from, and evaluate it you know, after you that, understand that, know, it's such a powerful me, that idea. That is so hard because I immediately get defensive. Yeah, I go we all do. Prosecutor mode. I'll tell you what's wrong with you, Irish. Let me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I, I, especially when you're young. Well, um, I've, I've, and it was especially effective with kids because you know what, what he he would teach what's called reflective listening, where whatever someone would say to you, you repeat your understanding of it. You say, is this what you're saying? And it starts a conversation that becomes very open and honest and people feel like you care about them. And if you're really listening and you're really letting it challenge what you're thinking or feeling, or if you're really trying to understand where they're coming from, it just changes the dynamic of the relationship. And it is really, it's being humble. 
You know, I just read this great, great book by Adam Grant, who's a workplace psychologist. And the title of the book I read on vacation is Think Again. And to be honest, I worship Adam Grant. I just think he's brilliant. And there's something spiritual about him. But he mentioned this whole thing, kind of that whole point that if you try and preach to people or prosecute people, the whole book's about this, you're going to lose them. You know what works best on convincing people? Asking questions, you know, open-endedness. And like it's a good parent who doesn't, um, you try and tell your teenager kid, you do this, they're going to resist you. You know, but if you ask questions like, well, why do you think that's true? And make them defend their own position, they're more likely to change. Yep. But that creates humility. I mean, that takes a lot of humility to do reflective listening. But you know what I really made me think too, and this sounds terrible. Here's a question. Does religion encourage humility or just give it lip service? Because of course you're going to say, well, religion's right in the Bible. You know, humility is one of the main attributes you need. It's right in the Bible. Of course, religion encourages humility. You know, the older I get, it does, we do give it lip service, but I'm not quite so sure humility, humility is really promoted by religion. And I know this sounds strange, but look at like whether a priest or a bishop, look at the council of advisors he has in every parish. Now, every parish has a council of advisors and staff, right? And I've just seen this where I can meet a priest. And he's not a bad person, but his staff or his advisors, their job is to give him answers that make him feel good. That, oh my gosh, that was great. You did a great job. You did everything you did was great. Their job is never to challenge him to think better or do better. And so another person I just admire to know in is Patrick Lencioni. And I made my staff watch his workplace psychology thing where the first thing you need is, conf- well, the first thing you need is trust in other employees. The second thing you need is conflict. People should be able, when he means conflict is people should be able to tell the truth at a staff meeting. Totally. Because if you don't, what you have is politics. And so like with my staff, I made them watch this and like, I want my staff and my pastoral council to give me feedback. I want to know, am, am I screwing up or am, how are we doing? And I, one thing I really love about my staff is that they're really good about being giving honest feedback. Like Sarah Clayton and Midge are probably the best at challenging me. <laughs> um, but don't worry, like Sarah Clayton, they do it in different ways. That's why I like Sarah Clayton is always kind of with a lot of angst. Yep. Uh, I know uh, Sarah. Yeah, used to worry. live across the street from her. Yeah. I, I always kind of think like, I really appreciate that about yeah. it, but I always kind of think her daughter, Amaya, who's pretty forceful. Oh, she's going to give you a run for you. <laughs> <laughs> but also like Jake, our musician, he is so good about picking out my contradictions, but in this kind of joyful way that he challenges me. But what I really like is that they do challenge. And anytime I meet a priest where, you know, I'm judging this staff is that staff has got the message. Oh no, you never challenge father. Believe me, there's going to be an ego problem there. Not that he's a bad person, but he is not going to be able to learn and adjust. Why humility is connected with learning is that it means you can unlearn. You can always question. So without humility, I just think you end up in this prison of your own ego or a prison of your own opinions. 
So humility is a great superpower that creates a, a winning community and helps us adjust to the ways of life. I love that, Father Len. And, you know, you said something a minute ago, do we really promote humility? Does religion promote humility? And as you were talking there about learning and, and what makes humility a superpower, it's sad, but uh, so many, I, I don't know, I'm, I don't want to make a too broad a generalization, but there are plenty enough religious people who have this really rigid interpretation of the Bible that you cannot question. You know, I mean, they absolutely have the exact perfect, this is exactly what God meant, and you can't challenge them. There's no humility there at all. That's one of the reasons I love this idea of our podcast, where we challenge all of our own ideas. We're humble enough to say, you know, maybe it could be this way or that way, and we get a conversation going that's based on humility. I I I really like that. Well, I I hope more people out there really prize humility as a superpower. I do too. And if you have some questions or comments about uh, humility or anything else uh, that we do on the podcast, we always welcome those comments and questions. And you can get those to us pretty easily. You just head over to our website. It's www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com. And you'll see a little questions button on a blue ribbon at the top of the page. And all you do is click on that. And uh, there's a lot of ways to get stuff to us. And if you're enjoying the Wrestling With God show, we do hope that you'll share your favorite episodes with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, because it really does help people discover us. And by the way, subscribing to our podcast is free. Some people are confused about that when you say a subscription. It's free. Uh, And it does guarantee that you'll know whenever we publish a new episode. So we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, and purpose in our lives. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm